0: All right, guys, we're back. Jiu-Jitsu Motivation Podcast. I'm Greg Melita, Black Belt Second Degree, owner of Hampton's Jiu-Jitsu.
1: And I am Brian DeLuca, Black Belt First Degree and author of Jiu-Jitsu for Small People, another weird shit I think about.
0: <laughs> Love that title. Love that title. <laughs> All right, guys. So today we got Greg Anderson on. He owns Endless Endeavor Podcast and uh been, actually been meaning to get him on here for a while and uh so really glad we were able to do that. Uh kicking off season two of our podcast. So welcome aboard, man. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me.
0: So yeah, I mean we definitely uh you know, seeing you on on uh, social media and Instagram and uh just seeing how you came out of nowhere pretty much. I mean I've never met you obviously, but um, let's actually kick off with how I first saw you uh, come onto the scene and go viral pretty much on social media. so let's let's actually start with that before we go into any of the other stuff, which is how did all that come about leading up to it, and uh, you know everything from there? Yeah,
2: bro. So I mean, the video that got me all the notoriety and went viral was a video of me when I was a police officer sitting in my patrol car the pandemic, this was May of 2020. So the pandemic was a couple months old. And, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't really want to take a political stance pandemic because everything was new. We didn't know how dangerous it was. We didn't know what, were, what was a scam and what was factual and all that stuff. But what I did know is as a police officer, the things that I was seeing other police officers do was a violation of people's constitutional rights. And so when i was seeing people arrested for going to the park, people arrested for going surfing, people's businesses being forcefully shut down, i was like, whoa whoa whoa, like what what the fuck is going on? nation well worldwide really, but especially within our own nation because we fall under the united states constitution. And it was just really troubling. And I kept seeing it. You guys know how it was. Every time you check social media, every time you turn the the fucking television on, some old lady is getting arrested for walking her dog and all these crazy things. But the craziest thing to me was the fact that there was law enforcement officers out there willing to follow those orders because a mayor or a governor is telling them to do so. And so. You know, prior to being a police officer, I was in special operations for a decade. I did 14 combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan. And like I was seeing, you know, the military sent us all over the planet to fight for people's freedoms. That's what we were told at the time as young 20 year olds. You know, here I am, 40 year old man now in my own country, seeing people's freedoms and liberties being trampled on. And I'm like, who the fuck? Why aren't people speaking up? My entire adult life has been about defending people's freedoms, and now I'm watching it happen in my own soil. And so I was just on patrol one day in Seattle, and I saw – again, I checked my social media or whatever, and there was two young Hispanic ladies that got arrested for doing nails out of their basement. And it was like a sting operation. A couple cops went in pretending to be customers. And then since they did their nails, they hooked them up and took them to jail. And I was like, I can't fucking take it anymore. The -hmm. profession needs to be held accountable. People on the inside need to speak up because I felt like if I'm sitting in a patrol car in uniform and I say, hey, guys, this isn't what we do. I'm speaking to cops. As a cop, right? So I thought it was important for somebody in the uniform, someone inside of the profession wearing the uniform, to speak up, and that's what I did, man. And I just, you know, it wasn't a rehearsed thing or it wasn't planned. I just reached that point. I was fed up. I needed to to express my thoughts. Held my phone in front of my face for eight minutes and just articulated those things, guys. This isn't our job. We don't have legal authority to do that, even if you, regardless of where you stand on the pandemic. Our oath is to the United States citizens, not to your governor, not to the mayors, and not to these weird political alleg- allegiances that were, like, popping up all over the country. Which side are you on, you know? I was like, we're not on a side. We're on the side of people's constitutional liber- liberties. And, uh, bro, it went super fucking viral. I mean, hundreds of millions of views. And uh, it's it's real bizarre how your life can change dramatically dramatically. Inside 24 hours, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny because every single cop I know personally was like that message needed to be said. It was powerful, even my chain of command and my my superiors were saying that. But then when I was told to take it down, and I, and to this day I don't know where that order came from, but I the rumor mill has it that it came from the governor's office and uh they said we can't have a cop telling people not to obey the governor (laughs) i was like well i'm not taking the video down because everything i said i stand behind and they're like Mm -hmm. well if you don't take it down we've been told that we're going to have to terminate you for insubordination so i said listen you want to terminate a police officer for publicly stating that our duty is to support people's constitutional rights then maybe it's time for you to do that because i'm not in alignment with you guys anymore And that's exactly what happened, dude. They fired me, but it was, uh, it's weird, man, because at the time it was stressful and it's like, shit, Mm -hmm. I got three little kids. I got, I'm, I'm on the same grind as everybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I can't, I can't compromise my integrity and bend a knee. And because pulling that video down and rescinding my words, what that would do is I'd lose credibility within my own circle, the people that know me. Yeah. And so, uh, I just said, you guys got to do what you got to do. And they ended up terminating me. And in hindsight, the best fucking thing that ever happened, man.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is like, you know, you made that video purely out of your, you know, your your gut instinct, you know, on, on the job. Boom. You know, this is how I'm feeling. Knowing that risk that, hey, you know what? It, it may freaking come down to me being terminated, but I, that that's doesn't matter,
1: you know? Do you think, do you think that's what it, like so many people, the, you know, you mentioned like a lot of people weren't speaking up, right? And do you think so many people were just afraid of that? Afraid of, you know, they built, you know, we all build these lives for ourselves and they were afraid that that would be taken away like economically if they spoke up. 100%. Yeah.
2: And and it's, it's something that's really troubling to me is that I've seen so many first responders over the last 24 months They're like, Hey, I don't agree with it. And I think this is stupid, but, but, you know, and then they have their excuse. I got a mortgage. I got little kids. And it's like, listen, that's fine. We all have our priorities and the Mm -hmm. things that we need to take care of as men, but you can't do those things at the cost of compromising your morals and your integrities, because today it's arresting a lady for doing nails. What are they going to ask you to do tomorrow? it's up to us as the first line of defense to keep this government in check. And so many cops that I thought would stand behind me and be like, not a fucking chance. A lot of them right. just kind of went along, went along, you know, go along to get along. And they're like, yeah. how many videos have you guys seen where officers are like, I don't agree with this, but it's my job. And it's like, dude, that you're saying so- it's sounding awful. Fucking 1930s Germany. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the beginning, a lot of people like, dude, you're crazy. This isn't worth losing your job over. Well, look where we're at now. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like, I think the proof is out there now that if we don't force these people to back the fuck off of us, they're never going to. And so after that video happened, I and I mean, I opened my Jiu Jitsu Academy in 2015. So it had been open the whole time that I was a police officer up here in Seattle, but it was more of a hobby because I didn't have the energy to be working full time and then nurture an Academy full time. Like you need to. And, uh, bro, that my Academy has grown by 500% in the last year and a half. And, uh, and I always tell people, I don't say this to boast or like, Oh, look at me. But, uh, financially, I'm making about three times the amount of money as I made as a police officer, as a jiu-jitsu professor. And the reason that I say that is because a lot of people are reluctant to take that step into the unknown. But as long as you're passionate about something and you're willing to put the work in, it's going to give back to you at some point. That's just how the universe mm-hmm. works, man.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good point too, especially with, you know, uh, people think they're going to open the doors of any business, right? And people are just going to walk in. They don't understand how much work goes into running yeah. a business. Like they just don't. Whether, you know, even, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have opened jiu-jitsu schools. They thought they were just going to teach jiu-jitsu. They didn't realize there's this whole <laughs> other part of their business they need to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know,
2: the craziest thing about opening an academy for me, was every single person that heard about it, it's like, I can't wait till you open, I'll be there. And I was like doing the numbers and I'm like, man, if if half the people that claim they're gonna start jujitsu actually sign up, we're gonna be doing well right out of the gates. <laughs> Bro, about 1% of the people that said <laughs> they'd be there actually showed up, you know? And I that was exactly. like, going hit me hard because it's like, man, talk is cheap, but but when it when you get your mats up and the doors are open, man, like you said, people didn't start trickling in for months and months. Yeah. And it was a very, very slow process. And, uh, I do think growth becomes exponential as long as you're putting out a good product. Cause the more people that are there, the more eyes are on it, the more they're talking about it. And so now mm-hmm. we're hitting that point where growth is becoming exponential, but it was a long path, man.
1: Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times too, people don't necessarily believe in what they started. Right. You know, you got to believe if, you know, from beginning to end, like this is going to be successful, I'm going to make this work. And, Cause then you figure it out, you know, you figure it out along 100%. the way because things are always changing.
2: Yeah. And why like, and I won't lie, man, like I had a little bit of imposter syndrome because I got my black belt out of uh, Los Angeles with, with check mm-hmm. and the guys on my team were like, Marcus Bouchesha and Joe Assis and Luis Ponza and Lucas Leitch and like Marcelo Mafra. And when I slapped and bumped with these guys, they took my soul every single time. <laughs> like, and that that has not changed to this day. So I used uh-huh. to feel like, man, I'm not one of the guys on the team, yeah. you know? I, I'm, I'm great. Right. Yeah, sure. I show up and I put in the work and I'm consistent. And obviously they bought off on me. They gave me a check black belt. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I'm like, there's levels to this and I'm not on the level that most of my teammates are on. And that used to kind of bother me, but it's not until, I mean, I'm 41 now and I've started to realize like my role as a gym owner and a professor and a coach and a mentor is very different than an athlete. And it's like, those guys may be able to slap and bump and tap me out, but that's not my job anymore to be the best fighter I can be. Sure, I still mm-hmm. like to train, and we're all on the lifelong journey of getting better. That's not going to change. But mm-hmm. at the same time, what I get fulfillment out of now is bringing in a young kid from uh, that doesn't have a male role model, or you know, someone overcoming an injury, and then watching them grow through jujitsu. That's what it's all
1: about for me now, man. Yeah. I always say, like, you know, we we talk about this a lot. Like, I think one of the biggest keys that that I've taken away, you know, from, like I started wrestling when I was a kid, you know, but from wrestling and, you know, jiu is, like, even when you're losing, you're not losing, right? Because you're always getting back. You're always fighting back. Like, you just – it's okay because that's how the world works. You know, it's going to slap you around. You can't necessarily give in just because it slapped you around a few times.
2: 100 percent, man. I tell my students all the time – Most of the lessons that you're going to take away from my mat room have little to nothing to do with fighting. Hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. You'll become very proficient at fighting and self-defense if you buy off on jujitsu and you put the time in. But where it's going to benefit you more is building your resiliency, learning how to adapt and overcome, face adversity. And I tell my students all the time, jujitsu is going to improve your professional life. It's going to improve improve your ability to parent. It's going to improve your relationship with your significant other, and. When people just listen to us talk about these things, it sounds like you guys are on that fucking jujitsu cult. But once (laughs) somebody gives it that night, I always tell new people, I said, give jujitsu 90 days. Mm -hmm. And I have yet to meet the person that gave jujitsu their time and then regretted it. Like, have you guys ever heard that? Like, hey, you know oh, what? Yeah. I trained for I trained for six months. That was a big waste of time. I should have done something else. You don't hear that about jiu-jitsu ever, no. you know?
1: Yeah, it's usually the exact opposite. Once I've trained jiu-jitsu and I'm not training jiu-jitsu, I don't feel normal. You know, like That's I start right. feeling happy yeah. when you're not training.
0: And Did you notice mean, when you when you did make that that decision, uh, you know, and then it came down after you put the video and then they they asked you to remove it and then you didn't and you knew what was coming did you notice any changes within just your immediate jiu-jitsu community? Opinions, disagree, agree kind of thing? Well,
2: no, it was uh, – I mean, I'm not trying to build a team of like-minded people because I don't want to be surrounded by a bunch of Greg Andersons. But the just the climate of the world right now, the way that it played out is we have built a team of people that – are very pro-freedom, pro-liberty, and they want to have the ability to choose what works for them. So mm-hmm. at my academy, I mean, I was like every other academy. We shut down initially because we thought the Black Plague was coming, right? Then I got fired, and then I started to see the same things that everybody saw. Like Washington State released a essential versus non-essential list, and my gym wasn't on the essential list, but... Anything that padded the pocket of the government was somehow deemed essential. And so you could go stand in line to buy marijuana, but you couldn't come and train jujitsu or CrossFit at my academy. And it's like, listen, I'm a libertarian and I like smoking marijuana. I'm not saying that pejoratively. But what I'm saying is when you look at what the government said they're going to allow people to do and not to do, it made no fucking sense. Yeah. And so I said, hey, we are open for business. Okay, we closed down for the two months or whatever it was, and uh, we're ignoring all mandates. There, my my gym to this day is a mask-free facility, and in Washington State, you have to if you don't have your mask on, you can't be open. Like, there's a lot of threats that have been that have been slung against us from the beginning, but Washington State never took any action, and I've been very open about it. You want to come and shut me down? I fucking dare you. You know what I mean? Like I have made, and this sounds dramatic to people, but I was already fired as a police officer. That's how I provided for my family. Right now I've built another thing that has become what supplies my family, their ability to sustain life. And if any man thinks he's going to take it from me, then we'll fight to the fucking death, dude. Like I said, man, like that was my entire, I did a decade of combat you think i'm gonna let you take away what feeds my kids and so i was very open about it i'm like guys my body armor and my ar-15 is upstairs on my mat room Fucking come and shut me down see what happens dude I'll, like i'm ready to fucking die over this and dude it was getting crazy man because like labor and industry was sending us emails and 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 calling us and it's been reported you're open still we demand you shut down and i'm just like click I'm not even going to have a conversation with those people. They can fuck themselves, you know, but it got to the point where I remember like hugging my wife. Goodbye. I started feeling like I was going on a deployment, you know, Like, my gym's seven minutes up the street, but it's like, is this the last time I'm going to see my family because the government is going to try and come after me. And dude, because I showed courage and because I didn't adhere to the mandates Dude, we grew and we grew and we grew. There's so many people that would call and be like, is it true that you guys are not wearing masks in your training? I'm like, yep, absolutely. Like, can we come and try jujitsu? And what it did is it brought a lot of people from from different backgrounds that may have not tried jujitsu under a different circumstance Mm -hmm. since we were the only show in town that was open especially kids, because, man, they weren't in school. All their sports were shut down. And parents were like, what do we – our kids need an outlet. And, uh, yeah, it turned into the biggest blessing in disguise. And then people signed up and people bought off on what we're selling. And now, like, all of those people are still – I mean, we haven't lost hardly any members that we gained during that big surge. So it's been a crazy journey, man, but it's weird how everything has been working out.
0: That's that's crazy, man. But I mean, I I think you started that, you know, uh, just in the in the immediate, uh, you know, space of that jujitsu, you know, military kind of thing of somebody that stood up and literally makes a video in uniform in their vehicle about how they feel. And I think everybody was like, yeah, you know what? Fuck that. We got to speak on what we feel, and and that's how you know things are going to get corrected. Uh, so I will just really you know applaud you for that, man. And I. Uh, I wanted to also ask you, even pre-COVID, just talking about your combat experience and how your jujitsu jitsu intertwined with that. How did that affect you? How do you think it should affect military and police officers? Should that training be mandatory? You know, all those things. Well,
2: the first thing that I should say is that if, if your profession involves you carrying a gun and doing harm to other human beings – and you don't think that you need jujitsu, you're telling yourself a lie. And less so in the military, but police officers, we put our hands on other human beings daily. And sometimes those human beings don't want to follow your instruction. So it's it's not a matter of if you're going to get into a physical altercation. As a police officer, that 100% happens. And depending on your jurisdiction, sometimes on a pretty regular basis. And so... What Jiu-Jitsu did did for me as a warrior was it put my mind at ease because I'm on patrol. And as you guys are well aware, Seattle has become one of the biggest shitholes in the country. We're Mm -hmm. overrun by like petty theft and and small scale crime and drug addicts and addiction problems. And you're having to interact with these people all day, every day as a patrol level officer. And... They're violent and they don't adhere to commands and it's just, it's a problem. Right. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm not the toughest guy in the world. I know that there's plenty of people that mop the mat with me still, but the chance of a drug addicted fucking criminal in Seattle having any success against me in a physical altercation is pretty much fucking zero. And Mm -hmm. as you guys know, once you've been doing jujitsu for 20 years, another man puts his hands on you, it feels like a baby. You know, Mm -hmm. and that used to give me confidence, like no matter what call I was responding to in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, whatever level of force needs to be implemented. I'm comfortable doing that. And that's through years of training, both with firearms and with, with, uh, self-defense through jujitsu and MMA. And I remember thinking one day, how can, how can the people that are completely untrained respond to calls for service? Like, that would be fucking scary. Like, hey, I'm going to go become, I'm going to go to an altercation with somebody that's being violent and I know nothing about violence and and bro and cops do it nationwide every single day. And I mean, we all see those videos where it's like five cops on top of a guy for, for 15 minutes. And it's like, dude, if you guys knew the Kimura, he'd be in fucking handcuffs, you know? Right.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Simple stuff. Just control, 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 you know? And truly, yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: I don't know. I, I always had, you know, I took a lot of the, uh, the police tests and things like that. And I just kind of, you know, I, I didn't serve and, you know, I'm not on uh, law enforcement, but even just taking and filling out the forms and I'm like, man, there should be like a plus whatever amount of points for, you know, a black belt in jujitsu. I mean, I think of they course. should be. Ah, you know, like I always felt like I just got the short end of the stick with that. And uh, but yeah, I, I just everybody that either trains at my academy that's on the job or, you know, um, we, we're part of Adopt-A-Cop. And just I mean, <laughs> you see more and more people that are on the job that come in and after they train, even for a few months, they can't see themselves on the job without training to jitsu
2: yeah, and like Mitch, who, who's the founder of Adopt-a-Cop, is a good friend of mine, and uh, my gym is also an affiliate with that program, and one thing that he says to the officers whenever we're like doing, uh, like we did an Adopt-a-Cop fundraiser a couple months ago down in New Orleans, and he's like, one question for you guys, is there anyone that's been in the program for over three months that doesn't think they're capable of beating the version of themselves that walked through that door 90 days ago? And everybody's like, oh, I'd mop the floor with that guy. You know, 90 yep. days of training versus nothing. You're a completely different human being. And so all those cops feel like they, they see it firsthand who they've become inside of just a short amount of time. And that's what makes them buy off on it. And you know, if a cop is motivated enough to try that program and and, and start committing to training, they're going to see that and they're going to feel that. But the big challenge is getting people to come through the door because even though jujitsu is pretty, I mean, I like to say it's mainstream now, but that's because we're jujitsu people. Our circles are jujitsu people. Right. And yeah, we got like Jocko and Rogan and some big figures talking about jujitsu. But at the end of the day, my department had 125 patrol officers and probably five or six of us trained. So it's still Mm -hmm. just a little niche in the law enforcement community, you know? And dude, it's like, it's funny because out of all of the cops that trained, there was me, another guy, or two other police officers that were black belts, and then uh, another guy that was a brown belt and a purple belt, and then like one or two blue belts. And what you find is the guys that are already good are the ones that are always there trying to get better, and everybody yeah. else is just taking their coffee breaks and, and squandering opportunities. Because we used to say, "Guys, come to the mat room with us at this time on this day," and it was always just the guys that already trained. You know, mm.
1: right? Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. It's it's the yeah, guys unfortunately, that are. You see people
0: that are motivated to come down have had a serious incident, or they were attacked and couldn't do shit about it, and they were lucky yeah. enough to survive it. You know, I mean, but you need people to I mean, it's tough that to, how can you, you know, have your everyday, you know, Leo on the job that doesn't train and has never trained realize how much they need it, you know?
2: Yeah. And and so like any cops and I mean, again, here we are jujitsu guys talking about jujitsu on a jujitsu podcast. So people that are listening to this, the majority of them have probably already bought off on what it is. Right. Right. But one yeah. thing that I do. When, when I do get people or police officers that are willing to give that initial try and like, hey, you know, can I come up and, and train for a week and see what I think of it? I'll have some of my females just kick the shit out of them and I'll pull them aside afterwards. And I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to humiliate you or make you feel like a weakling. The reason that I just had that purple belt feel like a fucking whirlwind on top of you and there's nothing you could do. So I'm showing you the power of jujitsu. Cause if that girl that you have a hundred pounds on can fucking sweep you to knee on belly and pin you to the ground, like that lets you know how powerful this art really is. Mm-hmm. And so and it's funny because I have some people, you know, everybody has their story of why they started jujitsu. And uh one of my coaches went with a guy at my academy who was, I mean, he's literally a grandpa. He's in his like late fifties and he was one of my blue belts and a dude walked through the door and was like, who's this old man? And, <laughs> and he goes, Hey, do you want to get a roll in? And he's like, man, I I wanted to roll with him, but I was afraid I'd break his hip, you know? And then my blue belt just tore him up. And he was like, Wait a minute, this old frail looking man just strangled me and there's nothing that I could do about it. Uh-huh. And so I always tell people when you have that come to Jesus moment, you're gonna go one of two ways. You're gonna you're gonna run from it and pretend it didn't happen, or you're gonna embrace it and say, Man, those those deficiencies just had a spotlight shined on it, and I'm gonna have to correct those. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you guys have your Oh shit! That's what jujitsu is. Moments as well, you know. Yeah. It your yeah. moment.
1: What, what do you think? What do you think makes some people go right? Okay, I'm going to embrace this. And some people go, uh oh, crap! It's not that's whatever. I got my ass whipped what by Whatever. Sixty year old dude, and now I don't want to be back here anymore. You right? e- security. Ego. You think it's ego and security? It's,
2: it's, it's ego because. You know, that and, and ego is a dichotomy, like everything. Cause you know, a lot of gyms will say, Hey, check your ego at the door. And I tell my students, I say, Hey, you're going to slap and bump with another 205 pound man that's going to try and rip your head off. We are in an ego driven activity. If you don't, cause I think ego is your drive, is part of what drives you to want to win. And if you're sparring every night, you shouldn't be doing that if you don't have the drive to win. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, If you allow your ego to have too much power and you allow those losses to actually impact you in a negative way, that's applying too much ego to it. And we're all guilty of that, right? Like, you know how – when you get caught by someone that shouldn't catch you, I'm now just getting to the point after 18 to 20 years of jujitsu where it doesn't bother me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like – One of your blue belts, you're kind of just flowing with him or whatever, and he slips past your guard and gets on an arm, and it's like, fuck, dude. So there's always a part of us that doesn't like to lose, obviously. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the only healthy way to look at that loss is say, what did I do wrong, and how can I get better? And I think that some people are wired, or they make the choice, to take those uncomfortable moments via either in training or like you said, those cops that have those uncomfortable moments out on the street and they use that to motivate themselves to become better. Whereas some people, they just want to put that on the back burner and say, Hey, that was a, that was an outlier. That's probably right. not going to happen again. I'm good. You know? Mm-hmm. And the truth is you're not good. You're, you're never good. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Talk you know. about like, uh, you know, people that realize and don't realize that they need jujitsu where i have my academy in in the hamptons we're right next to a uh, air force base and uh, a lot of the people that train at my place uh, a couple of them are pretty high level like uh, power rescue guys and so I put a lot of time in training those guys on the base, and uh it, it was pretty amazing. Because of course I've heard of the PJs, you know, I always loved any, anything military and all those units. And uh I don't know if they're tier one units, but they're definitely US Air Force specialists. Yeah, um, but I didn't know, and it was unbelievable to me that the reason why the power rescue guys have to contract out, or you know, for martial arts training, and why they came to us was because. They're one of the only tier one units that can operate on U.S. soil, you know, to do things like uh, hurricane rescues and, you know, ocean rescues and things like that. And when they are, they can't be armed. So, okay. but yeah, yeah, there you go. Like, think about when they're doing Katrina, the looters that are coming after them and they don't even have a pistol on them. That, yeah. that blew my mind. That blew my mind. That's yeah, crazy. Um, And that's one of the reasons, you know, I went on to the base and, and tra- they, those guys, they got their own mats and the, the whole, you know, pretty much the whole unit is into it. You know, a lot of the kids trained at my place and just, just, you know, really happy to be able to go on that base a lot and train those guys to see people that in their eyes, they know they need it is totally different than just training, you know, uh, regular people at an academy, you know?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, man.
0: So it's just it's it, it, that just blew my mind. Like there are some people that need it. And then there's some people that really need this thing, you know, Right. Um,
2: and, and so. then the thing is that a lot of people don't put a lot of weight in is like, yes, you have your you have your first responders, or your military. That's it's probably more likely than not. They're going to get in some type of physical altercation. But then you just have your day-to-day people. Like up here, we have Amazon and Boeing and soccer moms and stuff. But just because your profession isn't necessarily putting you in harm's way, dude, human beings just by nature, like Mm -hmm. we're a violent race. of You know what I mean? Like the human race, you you pick up any book, all we do is hurt each other. And that's all we've been doing since the Mm -hmm. beginning of time. And so I think especially as a man – If you have a family, like we are obligated as protectors to know and understand how to control situations. And if you have people that are depending on you for their physical safety, man, you don't have to buy off on jujitsu and become a black belt someday and love it like we do. But I I tell people that, too. Even if you hate jujitsu, I think you owe yourself a year of it just to develop capabilities as a protector and as a man and a a head of household, you know? And uh, yeah, it's, it's bizarre to me. Like I've used jujitsu in the civil, I had a guy trying to break into my house when I was a blue belt and Mm -hmm. strangled him unconscious with an arm drag to rear naked choke. And that was the first time that I used jujitsu in a real world application. And it was just boom, quick arm drag. It spun him right into the choke. And he was asleep in like four seconds And I was like, whoa. (laughs) You know, like it even surprised me how effective it is. And so I mean, I was sleeping, it was three in the morning, and twenty-five seconds later, I'm doing jujitsu with a guy. You never know what life's gonna throw at you. And so, Mm -hmm. like to be completely unprepared to me, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like, I couldn't I don't think I could be able to just relax in who I am as a man, knowing That at any given time, if I was called upon to help another person or a member of my family, and I wasn't capable of doing that, that'd be a hard headspace to live inside of.
1: Right. You know, and and what's crazy too is you know you talked, you went right into it, right? That arm drag to 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 taking his back, right? But that's what the training is. Like you do this. How many times have you done that? In you know, and that's what makes it. It it just makes it instinctive. You know, you don't have to think about it. You just go straight to it. 100%,
2: 100%, man, and that's what, in my opinion, you know, we have we have the martial arts, in my opinion, like Western boxing, kickboxing, um, judo, wrestling, jiu-jitsu. To me, those are the top five, and why is that? Because when you spar, you are actually I, sparring.
0: Yes, man.
2: Right. It has to be live. For martial arts to work, you have to spar at a live speed. That's what helps you develop your timing and your rhythm, your ability to read another human being and and apply like balance and base and agility. And if you aren't sparring at a live speed, your art will never develop into something that is applicable to real life. And so that's what I, I get people all the time that are like, hey, will you do a... uh uh, Saturday self-defense uh, women's self-defense seminar. And I'm like, I can't do that because in my opinion, I'm selling snake oil. I was like, mm-hmm. I can, I can, I have done a few times and I don't call them self-defense seminars. I call them an introduction to grappling because I can introduce you to something, but do not leave my mat room thinking you have any type of proficiency. And if some guy breaks into your house at three in the morning when you have two hours of training on a Saturday morning, and that was six months ago, it's, it's not applicable and it's not going to work. And so I, I always tell people if you want, and I run a, I run a course called guns and geese, which is a weekend introduction to jujitsu and uh, combat pistol fundamentals. And I tell my students the same thing. I can show you the foundation. I can show you the principles of what jujitsu and what shooting entails but if you don't go home and continue on this path, it's a waste of your fucking time. Mm-hmm. And you're never gonna be yep. good at it. You know, nobody ever got good at anything in three days. And so <gasps> to say that we're gonna we're gonna be the first the first program that offers that are full of shit, man. You know? Yeah.
0: yeah, that's 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 spot on. It's like, you know, right out of the matrix, right? You can show you the door, but you gotta be the one to walk through it, you know? Mm-hmm, of um, course, man. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a huge point. I I definitely agree with
1: that. Well, and, and it's, and it's interesting too, you know, because, you know, we have to look at our, you know, as people, there's stuff can happen at any time and we don't spend any time making sure we're preparing ourselves in some ways for our own survival. Like, think about this, whether it's your health or whether it's to protect yourself, like, you know, we don't, a lot of people, we do, but a lot of people don't want to spend the time to make sure they're ensuring their own safety or health. It's pretty that's crazy. That's bizarre,
2: man. It's like de-evolution that you've seen yeah. idiocracy, right? It's like right. everybody is just almost purposely getting fat and weak and depressed. And it's like, dude, all the tools are out there to become strong and intelligent and happy mm-hmm. and like ha- actually have some resilience and some resolve. Like the formula exists. It's not a fucking secret, but it does take work. And that's that's what separates a lot of people. I mean, how many times have you guys been driving to the academy and it's like, God, I'm I'm so fucking tired. I just wish I I should just go home and put a movie on. Just take tonight off, dude. Get back on the grind tomorrow. And you have that internal debate with yourself. And I remember because from where I worked to where uh, my house was, I'd have to drive by. And this was before I was the this is when I was a student. Still, I'd have to drive by the academy that I was training with. And on my commute home, I'd have all those reasons come into my head. Why, why you should take the night off? Oh, your elbows, your tendonitis is acting up. You, you right. the baby kept you up last night. You didn't get enough sleep on and on and on. And then I'd see the exit approaching and I'm like, all those excuses, you're still a fucking pussy. If you don't take mm-hmm. the exit, mm-hmm. put your gee on and get on the mats. Yeah. And that would win every single time, but it's a, it's an, it's a literal internal debate with yourself to stay on the path, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and what's, what's funny is cause we all do that. And every time you go, you're like, I'm so happy. I went, right. I, know, I'm so happy. I feel so much better. Like than I did before I got there, no matter how tired you were. And the same thing, I have young kids, no matter how late you were up, you know what I mean? Like you feel so much better after you go.
2: Bro. Yeah. I hope it's funny to say that. Cause I'm like, literally every single run you go on, As soon as you're done, you feel better. You're like, fuck yeah, dude. I got all that fresh air. My muscles feel strong. I got those endorphins. But before every single run starts, it's the same thing. It's like tying your shoes. God, dude. And I'm like, dude, you've been working out for fucking 25 years. When are you going to enjoy the process of lacing your shoes up and getting outside? But I, I just think it's, I think human beings, and I'm no exception, we're just an inherently lazy creature, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, like yeah. half 70% of people are obese now. I mean, of course, we're an inherently lazy creature. The proof is out there, you know? And if everybody you don't wants have, to stay
0: inside all day. <laughs>
2: yeah. If you don't have that voice inside of you that forces you to step outside of that comfort, it's going to get mm-hmm. you too, you know? Yeah. I tell yeah. people I am an inherently very lazy person and I hate eating healthy, man. Like, I wish that I could sit on the couch and eat pizza. That's what my mind is telling me to do. Right. But I'll look like Chris Farley in 15 minutes. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like yeah. I'm, yeah. It's, you know, people always, I'm sure you guys follow Cam Haynes, right? And uh, it's like his saying, like people always tell him, must be nice, must be nice, you know? And it's like, yeah, it, it is nice because I get up every single morning and I put the work in, even mm-hmm. though I don't want to. And, right. and there's nothing, nobody, there's no free lunch. People didn't Mm -hmm. just become good athletes through osmosis, but what what people don't see is all the work on the back end behind the scenes, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's almost like, it's almost like that with so many things in life. And maybe to your point, it's inherent in humans. Like there's so much work you have to put, whatever it is to be in good shape, to lose weight, to have a successful business, whatever it is, you're always putting that work in to evolve to where you want it to be. And it's almost never ending.
2: Bro, and, yeah. and the the older I get, the more I come to terms with accepting that it is a never ending process. And I mean, that's why I call that name my podcast, the Endless Endeavor, because yeah. as soon as you think you've made it, it, it some milestone in life, and it's like either like with your relationship or a monetary amount or your business is at this level, as soon as you think like, yes, I got it, mm-hmm. something shifts. And you got a new fucking problem to overcome, and you got new, new things that are fucking like taking your time and your energy, and it feels like you're starting from square one again. Mm-hmm. And when you finally embrace that, it's like, no, 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 that's the journey of life. If, if life ever stopped throwing you those problems, it'd probably become pretty fucking boring, right? Yeah. And yep. so yep. embrace that and understand that this life mm-hmm. is going to just continuously and endlessly. Sling shit at you. And the whole purpose of, of us being here, doing what we're doing, is figuring out how to navigate all this stuff. And then through that process, become better human beings. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah, a- yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. What was and your,
0: um like going into your specifically the jujitsu journey? Like, did, were you always with uh, map? Had you start? Had that journey begin?
2: So it was 2004, and I was deployed to Ramadi, Iraq. And I was on a small base called Blue Diamond. And it was a Marine Corps controlled base. And we had a couple SEALs that were deployed with us. And one and I was 215 at the time and a really good athlete. And one of the SEALs was about 170 pounds. But when I say 170, he looked like GSP, like s- super fucking athlete, right? But still, I mean, I was 40 pounds bigger than him or whatever it was. And he goes, Hey man, do you want to train tonight? I don't have any training partners. And I was like, yeah, what do you do? He's like Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, And I was like, Oh yeah. You know, I've never lost a fight before in my life. Let's train. (laughs) Well, that's because I'm fighting drunk scrubs at a bar. You know what I mean? (laughs) I didn't know. And even in the Ranger regiment, you know, they teach you. And back then, it was kind of newer, you know, and they would show us some arm bars and chokes and stuff. So I thought, like, oh, I kind of know some of this stuff. But I'd never sparred with somebody that knew what they were doing. And he was a purple belt, and I was a guy that didn't know what I was doing. And so you know what, how that played out. And so that was my what-the-fuck moment, you know? Like, I thought that I was this, like, strong, athletic fighter. And this dude treated me like a baby. And we did MMA rounds, too, so he'd, like – fucking leg kick and then double leg takedown and mount me and strangle me. And every aspect of the fight felt like I was in zero control because I wasn't in any control at any point, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I, I remember thinking like, I can't allow another man to be able to do that to me. So I told him, I said, bro, I want to train you every single night on the, for the rest of this deployment. And he's like, cool, man, let's do it. And so for the next 90 days or whatever it was, him and I were in this mat room every single night, and I was just eating it up. I I redeployed home and uh, lived outside of Seattle at the time, and I joined a Gracie Baja Jiu-Jitsu team and then an MMA school, too. And I focused on both Gi Jiu-Jitsu and full contact fighting for like the first four years I was into jujitsu, jitsu and I took some fights as a blue belt and uh, some MMA matches. And I got to a point where I felt proficient as a fighter, but I never loved MMA. Like I loved jiu-jitsu, like going to MMA and fighters training at night was always like, fuck man, fuck. Like, cause you know, you're going to glove up and you're going to fight other men and it's just like, it started to weigh on me. And it got to the point where it's like, okay, you had this goal of becoming a good fighter. And now you're a blue belt in jujitsu and you're a pretty good stand up fighter. Not fucking great, but I felt like I can hold my own against most people now. And I said, but jujitsu was the side of it that you always really loved. And so I decided. Right as about I was getting my purple belt, that I'm going to move away from the MMA scene and invest 100% of my uh, energy into jiu-jitsu. And at the same time, I moved to Southern California for work. And so this is kind of a funny story, man. This was 2011. And I looked at where my house was to where my office was. And I found a jiu-jitsu academy. And it was called Checkmate. Corona, Corona, California, at the time, and uh, I walk in, and the head coach is Bouchesha. But this was 2011, and he hadn't right. won. He hadn't won. He didn't win the world title until that following summer, right? Mm-hmm. So he was just this new checkmate beast that you know the, the the rumor mill was going wild about, but he hadn't become Bouchesha yet. And mm-hmm. so it was. Uh, it was. Me, him, and probably, I mean, that academy probably had f- 20 people, right? So, pretty small academy. But then I had that moment again. Like the first time I rolled with Bushesha, I thought that I had this jujitsu thing kind of figured out. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> I was a white belt again, you know? And I was like, you know, I'd I had fast tracked. By this time, I was a brown belt, and I got my brown belt in five years. And uh, it, it, through Gracie Baja up here north of Seattle. And I think I got my brown belt fast just because I was strong and I was a good athlete and I could beat a lot of guys. But that doesn't – you know how that goes. That doesn't mean that you have high-level jujitsu. jitsu That just means this guy's attributes outperformed that guy's attributes. And mm-hmm. so when I joined Checkmat as a brown belt, I realized – a lot of those blue and purple belts down in Southern California competition circuit were fucking eating me alive. Right. And I remember telling I, I walked into to Bouchesha's little office there and I said, Hey man, I I want you to make me a white belt again and I want to relive this whole journey through your team and under you guys' uh belt progression. And he looked at me and goes, Greg, you earned brown belt. No one can fucking take your brown belt. Go train as hard as you can and just enjoy mm-hmm. the journey. And so, uh, yeah, it took, I was a brown belt with Checkmat for five years before I got my black belt with him. Wow. And it was, that's the best thing that ever happened, man, a long pause and promotion to just focus on you with no stress yeah. of when's the next belt coming, you know?
1: yeah yeah that's that's crazy and then so when you got your black belt in what year what year did you become black 2015
2: very beginning of 2015 yep okay so yeah it's been i just hit seven years i believe
1: wow okay so you've been a black belt and it's for, funny for... dude because like
2: you, you think i mean I've, I've relived this enough times to now know that your, your jujitsu journey is endless. But if yeah, I look I, at who I was the day I got my black belt versus today, I feel like I didn't know fucking anything about <laughs> jujitsu, you know? It, yeah, It's yep. crazy.
1: Yeah, that it, is, coaching,
2: it is. Coaching it really is helps you grow as well. You know, mm-hmm. that's been a huge blessing for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I keep thinking like, you know, it's like, you you know, you see, you know, people starting their journey, whether they're older or younger and you're like, oh my God, I remember when I was a white belt or a blue belt and you're like, holy smokes, look, was it that bad? Like, you know, when you're training, you're like, oh, they need some mentoring. Yeah. It, you know? it was
2: that bad. It was yeah, that bad. I yeah, I tell people all the time, I wouldn't trade my jiu-jitsu knowledge for $10 million. Yeah. I wouldn't. If you said I had to walk into the academy tomorrow as a day one white belt and you'd cut me a check for $10 million, for my my mental well-being and like what I've what i've earned through blood sweat and tears on the mat you can't put a monetary amount on that you know
1: yeah. no it's it's cra- it's crazy you know i mean you know how many hours you've dedicated to it not just like your time on the mat but just like jiu jitsu in general you know and it's crazy how much time we dedicate to these arts you know it's it's huge
2: No, I mean, there's like, it's funny. There's a there's a meme or something that's like, in the amount of time it becomes it takes to become a black belt, you could become a brain surgeon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. We actually did it. We actually did the math one day. Like, we actually did me and this guy uh, Dave Fernandez, and it was like crazy. You could have gotten like your bachelor's your master's your doctorate you become the brain surgeon and got like two other degrees you know <laughs> in the same time up to like black belt no. with the amount of math time and i was just including maths and in like uh, math time and like some tournaments you know what i mean it wasn't even including like no. all the research we do and all the studying mm-hmm. we do it was like crazy it was like multiple degrees we were like that's pretty insane yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so tell us about, uh,
0: electric North. So like you're, you're on the job and you know, you got your black belt and you're going you to know, open your academy. That was pretty much.
2: Yeah. So I got my black belt through, uh, Joe Aliceis. And so if anyone's not familiar with him, he's an ADCC champ, he's a world champ and he's just another one of those high level check map monsters. And his, his academy is electric jiu-jitsu out of Huntington Beach, California. And so not only did I get my black belt under Joao, but him and I became like best friends. And to this day, he's one of my closest friends on planet Earth. And so I knew that shortly after um, he promoted me that I was planning on moving back home north to the Seattle area. And he knew that, too. And that's why he kind of surprised me right before I moved with a black belt, because I had no expectations you know, I was I was a lifelong brown belt at that time. It had been five years, and I was like, well, this is you know what I mean? This is my life, brown belt. That's all good though. And so as soon as he promoted me to black belt, I was thinking, man, I should open an and because I'm moving right away, I should open another electric jiu-jitsu and uh be under him. And so my academy is electric jiu-jitsu, but we're electric north, and then he's electric jiu-jitsu down in Huntington. And that was uh That was the plan, man. Open that up and and see where jiu-jitsu took me. But like I said, it was such a slow process that I ended up going back into law enforcement because I had three small kids. And because of that, now it's like, well, I opened this new academy, but it's not making enough money to even sustain life. So I'm going to become a police officer again, and then I'm going to still teach at the academy two nights a week because that's what my schedule allowed And what I found is, man, that you set the tone at the academy and it's up to you as the leader to really set the tone and the energy and the vibes. And you're going to people are going to either buy off on your academy or not based on the energy they feel when they walk through the door. And what I found is I just wasn't present enough to be able to create the Academy that I had envisioned. And I mean, think about that. What Academy can do well with you there two days a week. Right. Right. And I had very proficient instructors and great people running the classes, but at the end of the day, they're going to treat it like you're going to treat your own baby, you know? Mm -hmm. And so again, once the, uh, once the video came out and I, I shared my, my priorities, I looked at what I needed to do to be able to finally give this academy the attention and nurture it the way that it needed. And now I'm there every night and I'm running classes daily and I'm the face of the academy again. And I still have those other assistant coaches covering, you know, some kids class stuff or maybe some morning stuff, but there's just a lot more continuity with the gym. And because of that, a lot of people, they come upstairs now and they feel the energy. And I'll tell you, and I, I, I'll be interesting to hear if you guys came to the same conclusion, coming from an MMA background and then also like the the check mat competition team where it's just monsters, monsters, monsters. Every time you roll is to the death. I inevitably brought that energy to my own academy for a while. But what I found over a couple years of... Honing some extremely tough competitors and extremely tough athletes. It's like we have a room full of guys that I would put up against anyone, but it's 12 guys. 12 guys don't cover your mortgage, but also 12 guys isn't creating an environment where jujitsu is for everybody. And so me and Joao talked about this a lot because Joao was the highest level of competitor. His gym was about a training environment so he could go in the next 80 CC. And he realized it's not a viable business model. And not only is it not a viable business model, but you're excluding a lot of people from Jiu Jitsu. Because if you get a soccer mom who's a little overweight and heard about Jiu Jitsu on the Joe Rogan experience and says, you know what, I wanna give that a try. And she walks in and it's a bunch of dudes at 7% body fat doing 10 minute rounds. Right. They're going to turn around and walk out the door and not come back.
1: They're going to turn I, around just from the smell of the place. Probably. You know? yeah. <laughs> and
2: I, even, I even had some people say like, I don't have a six pack. I'm probably not a good fit for this gym. And it's like, fuck man. Like, yeah, that's kind of funny. But at the same time, I don't want people to feel like jujitsu is not for them. Now we don't want to water jujitsu down. Like we've, they've done with karate and Taekwondo and start selling an inferior product. But at the same time, We need as coaches to have that belief that jujitsu is for everybody. And Mm -hmm. if you're overweight or you've never been an athlete or you are someone with some type of ailment that precludes you from from being like super high level, we need to be able to make the gym work for those people and offer them something as well as still building up your young killers that want to be. High level competitors, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've finally figured out a way to offer that same training under one roof. And it's cool, man, because it's like we close down training at 7:30 p.m. Our last class of the day goes from 6 p.m. to 7:30 p.m. I'm never locking the doors before 8:30 because we have 30 people that want to sit on the mats and talk about their day or ask questions about technique or vent about, you know, what the, what their wife did. And, and it's like, I'm sitting back and I'm observing, this is what the mats are about. It's about these people having a community, having a place to unplug from their day-to-day grind that's away from their significant other, that's away from their employer, that's away from all the stresses that they have to face day-to-day. And now they get to plug in with a different group of people. And that's what's become the most powerful thing, man. It's it's really cool to see that, like, we have finally created an environment that still offers good training, but people from all different walks of life are feeling welcomed.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Brian, I'm not going to allow myself to go down a rabbit hole here, my friend.
1: Great. <laughs> Greg Greg talks about this all the time because we we both grew up in a very uh you know fight to the death uh, <laughs> fight to the death sort of uh yeah, i mean i i, I, I say know. it all the time there's
0: no secrets in jujitsu everything is on youtube there's no you know seeking out a, a famous brazilian to learn all these things the secret is in how you build the community at your academy and allow it to be an environment where you can have a guy that wants to compete at the worlds and you can have that that Mom that wants to come, come in just to break a sweat, uh, you got to have that environment that allows that. So, you
2: know, yeah, no, and and once you feel like you've started to to find the formula that works for that exact environment, bro, I'm telling you, at least at my academy, that's when it's like boom, we started growing exponentially because you got both fighters talking about your gym, and then you got both soccer moms talking about your gym, and. It's just growth starts to become exponential, you know? It's really cool to see.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that's kind of funny.
2: One person came in and left a review on uh, I don't remember if it was Google or Yelp, but they're like, This guy is not enforcing the mass mandate. Everybody's up there, there's no social distancing, and just kind of went on like a Karen rant. Mm-hmm. And then that ended up getting us tons of customers. People are like, <laughs> I read, that re- I read that review, and I wanted to come check out your gym the next day.
1: <laughs> right. I wanted to train there. I went to train there. Yeah. You know, I, it, I and I think something you pointed out, especially you know, being on the mat, right? You're you're talking to people like it, there's a ton of diversity on the mat, and but here's the thing: it's a place where everyone has so much respect for everyone else 100%. because you, you fought it out like literally like you've been as intimate with that person in that fight or that role like just minutes before and everyone just has like this m- major amount of respect for everyone else on that mat regardless of anything else you know and that's I think that's one of the beautiful things about jiu-jitsu 100% yeah.
2: man and that's like I tell people all the time Because all the different things that is is just plaguing our society, it's like, oh, black versus whites and and transgenders and and the Democrats are saying this to the Republicans. It's like, dude, come on the mats and Mm -hmm. nobody gives a shit about your sexual orientation, the color of your skin, what politics you buy off on. Like, Mm -hmm. it's my jujitsu versus your jujitsu. Let's see how it plays out. And because Mm -hmm. that's such a fulfilling experience. People don't care. Put emphasis on all the other bullshit. And it's mm-hmm. like, where else in society can you have an activity that brings together so many different walks of life? And that's one reason why jujitsu right now, more than ever, I think, is super powerful. Because the powers that be in the media and all, all the, the corruption in our government, every single thing we look about look at is divisive. And it's pulling us apart. And it's destroying relationships. And jiu is the antidote to that, man. Like, jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. is the complete opposite. And I'm sure you guys have felt this, too. Like, I, I travel anywhere that I go in the world. Like, I went to Reykjavik, Iceland on a vacation. And I walked into Gunnar Nelson's gym. And uh, I was like, hey, I just want to get some, some rolls with you guys tonight at your 5 p.m. class or whatever. And mm-hmm. he's like, where are you from? Wh- what belt are you? And he's like, oh, dude, you're a black belt? Well, fuck come have lunch with the team before practice and and like you just instantly have a room full of friends with mm-hmm. people that have never fucking met you before they know nothing about you but we're on the same path and that's enough right. you know mm-hmm. it's, it's it's cool so to true. see and that's why I'm I'm always extremely welcoming of anyone that's that's coming through Seattle Dude, if you want to get some roles in, you want to to kick it with a cool team for a day or two, come to my academy. I don't do drop-in fees. Like, I just want, if you're out of town and you want to get some training in, come train with the team because we want to meet new people and and grow that jujitsu network, you know? Oh, man. That's, that's
0: speaking to my heart, right? We won't go
1: down that rabbit hole. I know. Greg's, Greg's um, very similar minded. <laughs> it sounds like uh,
2: Greg and Greg oh, are yes. on the same team, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's a whole other
0: separate podcast. Uh, so electric, <laughs> electric North, is, you can find them on Instagram. Your, your personal page on Instagram, Greg Anderson, right? Or is that it? It's
2: Granderson33. Granderson. So
0: GR Anderson33. Awesome. And then, uh, so, and then Endless Endeavors, uh, podcast. So what, that's just the, you know, what's the main goal of that? What do you got on that podcast? Just getting well, I mean, on there specifically you know, or.
2: That was a weird journey for me too, because I was never going to do podcasts like that. Right. I never had really an aspiration or thought that that'd be something that I would do. And then, uh, I was invited on cleared hot with Andy stump and, uh, we had a really good time. It was just, and then we are both from special operations and we we're both jujitsu guys. So it's like, we just vibed and had a good show and it was a mm-hmm. lot of fun. But because he has a huge platform, I started getting a lot of emails and DMS that are like, you should do your own podcast. You should do your own podcast. And I remember thinking like, that's kind of weird, you know? And then I got enough people saying that I should try it. That I was like, why not? I had fun. It's a, and just like we're doing right now. I don't know you guys, mm-hmm. and this has been a fun hour, to a, a fun way to spend an hour of the day, you know? And so yeah. I was like, you know what? Let's give this a try. If it has some success, cool. And if it doesn't, I'm mm-hmm. sure that I'll get to meet some cool people and hear some cool stories in the meantime. I'm going to have
0: to go on the uh, endless endeavor, I think, and go down some rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, let's do it, man.
2: And so, yeah, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself with like military or jujitsu. Or yeah. law enforcement. I was like, let's have a podcast that's just kind of open to whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I bounce around. All, like yesterday I recorded an episode with a, a couple that opened some very high, success, highly successful real estate companies. And then they went bankrupt, and then they built themselves back up. And then they went bankrupt, and then they built themselves back up. And now they're doing better than ever. And just anybody that has a story that's inspirational – I think is cool to get out to the world because you never know who's out there that hears a story and it resonates with them. And I mean, I'm sure you guys get it, too. I get emails regularly that's like I I got one yesterday and it's like, hey, man, I just wanted to let you know. I heard you talking about how important trying jujitsu was. So I tried it. And 18 months later, I just got my black belt today. And it's all because you told me to step outside of my comfort zone and try it. And he goes, and now I have a whole new group of friends and my life has improved on so many different levels. And it's like, you realize words that you put out to the world have a lot of power to them. And as soon as you realize that dude, any one of us has the power to impact somebody else in a positive manner and dude, that's what life's about, right? That's when that's what's really gonna feel fulfilling at the end of the day. And so that's why the, the podcast has become a fun journey for me because I look at it as a tool for me to allow other people to be inspirational. And like sometimes that I get the 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 benefit of being that person. My words resonate with some people. More often than not, I've just built a platform to allow other people to be that person.
0: So it's been a lot of fun. That's
1: awesome. Great. Well, everyone check out Endless Endeavor.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Everybody check that out. Check him out on Insta- Instagram. We got Grandison, um, you know, give him a follow and uh, yeah, let's in- Everybody can find your your podcast, wherever podcasts are, I'm sure. So.
1: Yep.
2: Well, well, cool guys. I appreciate it. If, uh, and again, if any of your listeners are ever in the Seattle area, my gym's about 45 minutes North of downtown, please come out. Let's roll, man. Let's have fun. And if, uh, if I'm ever out on in New York, I'm going to have to you come and come to train. You guys oh,
0: have a yeah. time, man! Awesome, man! Well, guys, appreciate it. Make sure you guys keep following, like, subscribe, and uh, we'll keep in touch with you guys. Uh, hopefully, we'll be having uh, let's see, what do you think, Brian? At least a whole schedule full of uh, season two coming, right?
1: Yeah, we got we got a lot of people that are booking
0: up. It's going to be a fun season. <laughs> awesome, man! Well, Greg, appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Stick around. We're going to chat. All right, take care, guys.